Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Today's message is Don't Judge Me. Now, here's Bill Almack. Little Tommy was out on the playground at school. And little Tommy could be a handful at times. And on this particular day, he was making faces at the other kids on the playground and tormenting them. And his teacher, Mrs. Smith, didn't know what to do with him. And so finally she said, well, she's going to try something that her teacher tried on her. So she calls him over and says, Tommy, you know, when I was little... My teacher told me that if I made faces at people like that, my face might get stuck that way. Tommy looked at her and said, Well, you can't say you weren't warned. (laughs) Tommy might have been in more trouble after that. I don't know. But Tommy made a judgment, and a judgment that I'm sure his teacher disagreed with. We're going to be talking about that today, judging. We're in the third message of our series, Crazy Things We Believe. We're talking about things that are out there that we kind of believe that maybe we shouldn't. Things that sound like they're in the Bible but aren't. And today we're talking about something that is in the Bible, but we often get wrong. And our title is, Don't Judge Me. We have we joke about this in my family And I don't exactly know when it started, but it might have been Alex's birthday. Because in our family, when it's your birthday, you have to pick where we go out to eat and what kind of birthday cake you want. So all the pressures on the person, you know, whose birthday it is. And one year he said he wanted lemon cake with strawberry icing. And yeah, the rest of us said, ooh. And his response was, don't judge me. (laughs) Turns out it's not bad. It's not bad. Lemon cake, strawberry icing, I I recommend you try it. But I'm not sure, but that might have been when don't judge me started. And and it's kind of a joke in our house. And it usually comes about whenever we're going to, you know, somebody wants to do something a little weird or eat something a little different. Hey, don't judge me. Right? And you've probably heard people say the same thing, right? Or you've said the same thing. Don't judge me. And, you know, Jesus said, don't judge me. Or he said, don't judge. And most everybody can quote Jesus' words on it, even if you're not a Christian. Most people know that Jesus said, judge not, lest ye be judged. And our society hates being judged. We have sayings about it, right? George Eliot says, don't judge a book by its cover. You've heard, God doesn't propose to judge a man until he's dead. So why should you? Maybe you've heard, only God is in a position to look down on you. Right? Because God's in heaven. And even God himself said, People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Right? Don't judge. So why is it such a problem to judge? Why is this so universally disliked? Why is it condemned by God? Well, number one, because we almost all do it. 
And oftentimes, we do it in such a way that is more hurtful to us than it is to the person we're judging. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But, you know, we can quote Jesus' words exactly. Don't judge. And still misquote Jesus. Because we take the words out of context. And, and we say it in a way um, that doesn't get the whole truth across. So let's look exactly at what Jesus said. This is in Matthew 7. Of course, it's in your bulletin uh, in the sermon notes too. It says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to the pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. See, most of the time when we read this passage, we, if we go back here, we get to the first three words, do not judge. And we add an exclamation point and call it done. Don't judge me. Right? That's what we want to have happen. But when you read the whole thing, you've got to be careful here what you're talking about. For number one, when it talks about brothers and sisters, it says, look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye. We're talking about fellow believers. Brothers and sisters are always fellow believers. Okay? So we're talking about other fellow believers, other Christians. It says, you know, you're looking at a speck in their eye when you've got a plank in your eye. When you think of the word plank, what do you think of? Big pieces of wood, right? Not some little two-by-four. It's not even two-by-four, but, you know, two-by-twelves, yeah. Now we're talking about real wood, right? How could you possibly see a speck in somebody else's eye when you've got a two-by-twelve in your eye, Right? We get down to the end of this. It says, Do not give your dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to the pigs. Is Jesus talking about real dogs and pigs? No, what's he talking about? People who act like dogs and pigs. And not dogs like, you know, Spot that's friendly and comes over, right? This, this is ravenous wolves, a pack of dogs. Right? And you don't give them what is sacred and what is valuable because they will trample it up and they will turn on you and chew you to pieces for no other reason than they can. How do you know who is a pig and who is a dog? You have to make a judgment. Oh, no. Right? You have to make a judgment about this. 
All right, let's say you're going on a trip, going on vacation. Where do we want to go? Someplace fun. San Francisco. Someplace fun. <laughs> Tahiti. I like Tahiti. That was better. You're going to, to Tahiti. And if you're going to go all the way to Tahiti, let's go for two weeks, right? Well, let's enjoy ourselves. So we're going to Tahiti. We need somebody to take care of the house. Right? In our place, somebody's got to feed the birds. Maybe you've got a dog or pet. Somebody's got to water the plants, get the mail. Somebody's got to take care of the house. So you're thinking about a couple friends that could maybe house sit for you. One of them is very honorable, respectable. They do things on time. You've been to their apartment. They, they keep everything nice and neat. The other friend you have, he's a great friend. You've known him since elementary school, but he's a bit of a slob. He's not always the most reliable guy. Who are you going to pick to house sit your house? The first one or the second one? The first one. You made a judgment. But you're not supposed to judge. Oh, no. See, you have to judge to get through life. And that's what this is telling you here. Right? You have to make judgments just to get through life. And Jesus is not telling us, don't make judgments. He's telling us something different. Back to the first verse we had here. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. How many times do we judge people very harshly, very extremely. We don't use mercy and grace, right? And this is great if you're watching reality TV because those people, whew, right? We love to judge them. What a bunch of yahoos on that show, man. Right? And we judge people with a standard that we would resent being held to. Right? And Jesus says, listen, the same way you judge others, you will be judged. That's enough to make me want to be all kinds of merciful, right? Because that's what I want. I want somebody to be merciful to me. Will Rogers said it like this. He says, Don't be surprised if you give a lesson in meanness to a critter or a person and they learn it. Right? If you keep coming in and kicking the dog, what's going to happen eventually? Dog's going to bite you. He's going to learn that lesson in meanness. James, the brother of Jesus, said it like this. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister, somebody in the church family, or judges them, speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and one judge. The one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now interestingly, he has switched people here. Who's your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? 
anybody, anybody's your neighbor, don't judge your neighbor. Who are you to judge your neighbor? But there's times when we can judge our brothers and sisters. Oh boy. This is getting difficult. And trust me, man, this sermon went 15 different ways when I was working on it. So don't judge me if it doesn't come out right. So here we are. The Bible tells us not to judge, to be aware of our tendency to put ourselves in the spot of God. And, you know, we're like, hey, I'm better. I have the right to judge you. No, 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 no. That's not where you want to be. And that's why it's worse for us when we judge somebody than it is the person that we're judging. See? There was a pastor, his name's John Burke, down in Austin, Texas. And he assumed that he was not a very judgmental person. I mean, he's a pastor. He works on these kinds of things. But he decided to do a test just in case. And he kept a little notebook with him. And he wrote down every time during one week where he judged somebody. And this is what he wrote after his week. I'm going to read it to you. It says, judging others is fun. Judging others makes you feel good. And I'm not sure I've gone a single day without this sin. In any given week, I might condemn my son, my daughter, even my dog gets the hammer of condemnation. See, there's a correction that values mercy. And there's a correction that devalues with judgment. I'm going to read that again because that's a deep truth. There's a correction that values with mercy. And there's a correction that devalues with judgment. He goes, I watch the news and I condemn these idiotic people who do such things. Most reality TV shows are full of people I can judge as sinful, arrogant, stupid, childish. I get in my car and I drive and I find a host of inept drivers who should have flunked their driving test. And I throw a little condemnation on our Department of Public Safety for good measure. I guess that's our DMV. At the store, I complain about the lack of organization that makes it impossible to find what I'm looking for. And why can't that teenage checker, and what is she wearing, focus and work so that we can get out of here? See, judging is our favorite pastime if we're honest. But we're not. We're great at judging the world around us by standards that we would highly resent being held to. Judging makes us feel good because it puts us in a better light than others. Right? And this is why we often judge people. Because somehow if we can push them down, we think we've lifted ourselves up. And we will say, look at those stupid people. Look at what they're doing. This and... Right? We think we're smarter than they are. We think we're more insightful than they are. We think we're more holy or more righteous or more spiritual than they are. Just face it. We're plain old better than they are. And that's why we think we can judge. 
Now, God laid out in this text we read a moment ago what I call the 90% solution. So let's suppose Gustavo and I have a little tiff going on. And we're angry at each other. And I might be very generous and say, part of the problem is mine. It's 10% my fault and 90% Gustavo's fault. Now, of course, Gustavo feels exactly the same way, that it's 10% his fault and 90% my fault. Right? And Jesus says, take the plank out of your own eye. See? It doesn't matter whose fault it is. Get the plank out of your own eye. Maybe in some rare occasion, you really don't have fault. Something just happened and you're like, I don't even know why this guy's mad at me. I don't know what happened. Well, in that case, just say, hey man, I'm sorry I offended you. Which would be true. Somehow they were offended. I I don't know how, but I'm sorry I did that. I didn't mean to. Right? This is how we can solve 90% of our problems. God is not happy when we condemn those we disagree with. I want you to think about that. Condemn those you disagree with. How many times do we condemn people we disagree with? You go on Facebook and somebody says something political that you disagree with because they're on the other side of the fence than you. And both sides do it. Let's let's be honest, right? But we'll say, hey, all those stupid liberals, all those stupid conservatives, right? We condemn people that we disagree with. And God says, don't do that. Henry Ford said, don't find fault, find remedy. This is especially true in the church. We can't condemn each other when we have differences. Now, there are times we have to confront one another, and there's a story like this in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there's a young man who was living in sin. Apparently, he was living with his stepmom. We're not sure if it's mom or stepmom, but they refer to the woman as his father's wife instead of his mom. So we think maybe stepmom. And when we say living with, not like, you know, they're sharing a house. They're together. And this is a big sin, right? This is such a big sin that Paul says, listen, even the pagans don't do that. And listen, church, you've got to do something about this. And the church says, listen, we're trying to be loving. And we accept everybody. And we want to be kind. Right? We've heard things like this, right? And we'll, we'll bring him into the fellowship, and then Jesus or the Holy Spirit will convict him of his sin, and it'll just magically go away. And Paul says, no, it doesn't work that way. He says, listen, if you don't do something about this, he's not going to heaven, and that's going to be your fault. Look at what he says in Ephesians 5. 
uh, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 5, 11 through 13. It says, But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, anybody who wants to be part of the family, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slander or a drunkard or a swindler. That's a long list. Don't even eat with such people. But what business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Now this makes it all kinds of messy and hard. Now we've got to confront one another with our sins and say, Listen, brother, maybe you shouldn't be doing that. And nobody likes to do that. Nobody wants to be confronted. Nobody wants to be the person who has to do the confronting. And a lot of churches don't do a whole lot of church discipline for this very reason. But it's a very biblical thing to do. Now, unfortunately, we don't really know the answer, what happened in this story. There's a, another passage in 2 Corinthians where there's a man who wants to come back into the fold and the church isn't sure whether they should take him or not. And Paul says that they should accept him back in. And some people think it's the same person that we're talking about here. Others think it's not because there's quite a bit of time between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And Paul went and visited in between those two books. So they wouldn't still be dealing with this issue. I don't know. It's nice to think that he repented and was accepted back into the fold. And that's what the purpose of judging our brothers and sisters is supposed to do. It's supposed to help us get better, right? When we can go to one another and say, man, I I noticed you're, maybe we shouldn't be doing that. And you'll be very careful how you do it. We do a whole sermon on how you have to do that. But it's a biblical thing to do. We should be talking to our friends and our brothers and sisters in here and making sure that we're doing these things, that we're keeping each other on the straight and narrow. Okay? Now, it says, what business of mine is it to judge the people outside the church? Because so, sometimes we tend to judge them really hard, right? Look at those guys. Whoo, glad I'm not like them. Don't do that. God will take care of them. But we're supposed to judge so that we can help one another inside the church. Okay? One of the great stories about this is in the Gospels where Jesus is invited to the home of Simon the Pharisee. And Simon doesn't really like Jesus. I don't know why he invited him to the party at his house. Maybe it was all a setup from the beginning just so he could make Jesus somehow look bad. And it's a big party and everybody is there. And right from the get-go, Simon starts slighting Jesus and insulting him. Because a gracious host would wash a guest's feet. And Simon doesn't do that. And a gracious host would pour some oil on their head and refresh them. And Simon doesn't do that. But Jesus is God. 
And men like Simon are just mere annoyances to him. Now, like I said, this gathering is big. There's a lot of people there. And somehow in the the crush and the commotion of everybody coming and going, this prostitute slips in because she wants to see Jesus. She's heard so much about him. She wants to see this guy for himself. What's it all about? What's going on? And somehow she sneaks in and she makes her way in through the crowd. And as she gets closer to Jesus, she just can't help it. And she starts crying because she realizes how her life looks compared to his. And Jesus probably would have been reclining, you know, when they sat, they had low tables and they would be reclining on pillows. And she was at Jesus' feet and crying and her tears run down and they start making streaks in the dirt on Jesus' feet because Simon didn't wash Jesus' feet. And now she's embarrassed because she's making a mess. And she starts trying to use her hair to clean it up. She doesn't have a towel and a basin. And that's not working so well. So she gets out some perfume that she uses to keep herself smelling good as a prostitute and just dumps it on Jesus' feet and begins to dry His feet with her hair as she cries. And while this is going on, I'm sure that Simon is over here. I got him now. If he thinks he's a holy man and he doesn't even know who's touching his feet, we're going to have a good time with this one. But Jesus is God. And Jesus can deal with Simon insulting Jesus. Jesus has been insulted by the best of them. Simon's an amateur. But he is not about to let Simon insult this woman's sorrow. And so Jesus says, Simon, let me tell you a story. And Simon says, sure, teacher. You can almost feel the sarcasm on his voice. And Jesus says, there was two men that owned a moneylender, a great deal of money. One owed 5,000 denarii. Now, it's hard to know how much 5,000 denarii is in today's dollars because at different times they represented different amounts of money. But what we do know is that a denarii was one day's wages. If you can work about 250 days a year, that's 20 years of labor to pay off that. 20 years of labor. Think about how much money you make in a year. Multiply that by 20, and that's how much this guy owed. Another man owed 500 denarii, about two years' labor. Neither one of them could pay. So the money lender trying to cut his losses forgives the debt of both. Now, Simon, who do you suppose loves the money lender the most? And Simon just can't help himself because he's a well-trained Pharisee. And he is not about to let this carpenter, rabble-rousing teacher show him up. And Simon says, well, 
I suppose the one who was forgiven the most loves the most. And Jesus says, very good, Simon. You have judged correctly. And Jesus says, let's look at this rest of this right here. Jesus turns his back on Simon. He turned towards the woman, turned his back on Simon and said, Simon, do you see this woman? I came to your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair and you didn't give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put any oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. And therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. That last line but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. That can cut to the bone. See, and when we judge people sometimes, what we're saying is we don't have a lot of love in our hearts. We haven't been forgiven for much. And sometimes that's kind of easy for us to do. Because we think, hey, I, you know, I live a pretty good life. Went to school, got good grades, didn't end up in jail, wasn't addicted to anything, didn't, you know, wasn't a mass murderer, you know, I, I was a good kid. Listen, sin is sin. And we have a concept of big sins and little sins. Sin is sin. And it doesn't matter whether it was a big sin or a little sin. It's sin. All Adam and Eve did was take a bite of fruit. That doesn't seem like such a big sin. Doesn't matter. Sin is sin. And when we judge others, see, we're admitting that we have been forgiven little. We haven't turned it all over to Jesus yet and realized how much we have been forgiven. And we think that we don't need it because we are obviously more righteous. We're obviously more qualified to pass judgment. And we're not even sure why God doesn't like ask for our advice on things. Because that's where we think we are. But when you have been forgiven much, you love much. That's very, very important. So I want us to be aware this week as we go around and we think about judging others. When they cut us off on the freeway or when you see some Yahoo on the TV doing something weird. Maybe if you had been raised the way they had been raised and had the situations they had, you'd be in the exact same spot. Because we want to be the kind of people that value mercy and value love and don't judge. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much, Lord. 
that you give us this clarification, that you help us understand what it means to be loved much and forgiven much, Lord. And help us be the kind of people that just reflect that love and that mercy to the others, not with self-righteous indignation and judgment and condemnation, Lord, but help us to be people that are loving and kind, people that are still willing to call sin, sin, but the kind of people who love you and love the folks around us. Be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been blessed by this message from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find more messages at www.downeychurch.org. God bless.